right, so here we are. We are in our Standing Strong series. Again, if there's still some time to get some shirts, you'll have to pre-order them most likely because we've run out of a lot of sizes. But I'm, I'm, I've been super pumped about this series. Actually, our last few series just seem so relevant for today and what we're going through in our culture and society, uh, certainly within our country, but around the world. And so we're in this Standing Strong series, and we've given some attention to Daniel. We've given some attention to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This morning, we're going to give some attention to King Nebuchadnezzar. To stand strong, we must stay humble. Pride can deceive us and cause us to live self-dependent rather than God-dependent. Pride is the root of every other sin. Pride declares, I want to be God. I will choose my own way and live as I please. Here's the thing that I've discovered about my own life, is that pride is always there. Sometimes it's a lot stronger than others. Sometimes I even sin within that pride, but pride for me is always there, and I believe it is for most human beings, not just men, not just strong-willed people, but for all human beings, this issue of pride is always there, and I think one of the ways that we overlook so often is just the simple fact that we don't include God in our moment-by-moment every day. We don't include him in decision-making uh, in the conversations that we have. And, and so for me, this is the issue of pride. When we begin to forget God and who he is and what role he plays in our lives, it's an issue of pride. Walking through life thinking, I just do this on my own. Now, I'm a, I'm a pretty strong-willed uh, person. Um, Brandy actually did not like me when we first met each other in, in college years ago. It was 1991 that, that we met each other. And I mean, it only took a few days and I, I won her over maybe a few weeks. Uh, but she thought I was arrogant. And, and I thought she was crazy for thinking that. <laughs> so for the first time, I think I probably had been told that before in life and just dismissed it because part of that arrogance was, I didn't really care what you thought. <laughs> but when she said it and I had interest in her, I remember now thinking, Man, I wonder if that's something I need to change. Because I didn't think that I was arrogant, but that was even pride. But I did begin to see that just in, in an overconfidence, not caring what people thought about me. Now, I, I hopefully, hopefully I wasn't like rude and obnoxious, maybe a little obnoxious, not rude to people. Uh, but I began to examine my own life to see, man, if she thinks that I'm arrogant, what, what am I displaying that is that, is prideful. And so for me, I mean, I want to recognize even the small things in my life that when I'm not recognizing God and who he is, that's an issue of pride. The issue of human pride, arrogance, and self-sufficiency has never loomed larger than it does today. People, people think they can customize or custom design the DNA of their babies, change their gender, or scientifically prevent death. Has anybody ever bought those pills? If you want to look young, younger, take this pill for the next 30 days. Nobody bought, ever bought any of those pills? Babe, send mine back. Send them back. <laughs> uh, we're told if we attain enough money, then we can control virtually every detail of our lives. The need for God is slowly being replaced by reliance on science, devotion to the internet, and the pursuit of personal happiness. Here's another way that I've discovered that we as Christ followers uh, exhibit pride or demonstrate pride in our life. That a lot of times when we have questions or we're seeking something, we don't go to God first. Uh, we'll go to other people. And, and by the way, I love the fact that God designs our church family to be there for each other. We're supposed to hurt with each other. We're supposed to rejoice with each other. But when you're seeking answers, do you go to God first or do you go to Google now, I go to Google. I go to Google a lot. 
Um, but here's the thing. When I'm, when I'm looking for decisions, the moment-by-moment decisions, I need to be taking those to God. And many times, we're seeking other people's advice, which I think can, can be a little crazy and dangerous at times. But are we going to God first? In everything, are we going to God first? So as we look at King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar's story reveals that we can choose either humility or humiliation. One, you can initiate and the other God will initiate. Now, we don't have time to go through the whole story, but we're going to be drawing and referencing Daniel chapter 4, specifically 4 through 9 and 28 through 37. But even though King Nebuchadnezzar recognized the work of God in the life of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his heart was not turned towards God, and he was filled with pride. I don't know about you, but I look back on some of these stories, and I'm like, come on, why didn't you just get it? How could you not get what was happening? Here, King Nebuchadnezzar throws these three young men in the fire, and he sees a fourth. He recognizes that that must be their God. They come out unscathed, no smell of smoke, yet it wasn't in that moment that Nebuchadnezzar turns his heart to God. He recognized that it was their God, but it wasn't in that moment that he turned to God. And I'm thinking, how could you not? How could you not? Just get it. Anybody else in the room hard-headed besides myself? You don't have to raise your hand. Uh, most hard-headed people wouldn't care if they raised their hand. How, how many of you wives sometimes think about your husband or your children, and I don't mean that they're equal, uh, but how many times do you wives think about your husband like, why didn't he just get it? Just get it. Sometimes it's just our maleness. Sometimes it's just our stubbornness. But I think that about King Nebuchadnezzar. He sees this. He witnesses it happen, and he didn't get it yet. So we see that King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and I don't have time to read through that, but he has this dream of this large tree that was seen from all over, that reached the sky, that was filled with fruit, that animals of all sorts were gathering underneath this tree. He also had a dream of a messenger who spoke of his destruction, and we'll hit on that a little bit. But because of pride, King Nebuchadnezzar went from being a man of power and control to being broken and crazy. If you've read this story before, if you're familiar, you know that this happens. And I want you to know this isn't just a story. It's not just a fable. This is a true story. King Nebuchadnezzar was a true man. I mean, he literally lived this out that we, we read about him in Scripture. Because of the sin nature that was passed on to us, we are all born with a disposition towards pride. Pride is a struggle with God over the right to control. When we engage in this struggle for control, we partner with pride and place ourselves against and above God. I know a lot of times we associate pride with a male thing, but pride gets us all. It gets us all. In in fact, if you remember the the story of the Garden of Eden, uh, pride was one of the things that I believe would have led Eve to eating the fruit first, right? Because the temptation was, hey, if you eat this fruit, you'll see and know what God sees and knows. She wanted more beyond what God was providing to her. She wanted to make that decision for herself. So when we talk about pride in our life, what are things that feed pride? We're going to talk about three things. The first one is this, allowing prosperity and contentment to become a sense of entitlement. We see this in Daniel 4.4. This is Nebuchadnezzar. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. So he's taking a moment and he's looking out over his kingdom and it says he, he recognized himself to be content and prosperous. Now listen, those in themselves aren't bad. I hope that we live lives that are content. We see this struggle happening with Paul 
But Paul says this, I've learned to become content whether I have a lot or whether I have little. I'm content. In other words, I continue to find pleasure in God. Yet in this moment, Nebuchadnezzar, he was recognizing himself as the source of contentment and prosperity. And that's what we have to avoid, yet that's where pride is going to take us. And if we're not careful, it'll take us there often. Prosperity and contentment are not bad qualities, but they can feed pride in our lives when prosperity leads us to put our trust in our resources and contentment leads us to complacency. Listen, God wants us to be blessed, but he also wants us to give him praise and glory for the blessings. It's part of our humanity, I think, because it's not just unsaved people or non-Christians that I see this in because I see it in us, I see it in me a lot, that when things are going great, I seldom give credit to God. But when things are going horrible, man, am I crying out loud to him, right? Sometimes if we're not careful, we've worked really hard in our career or at our jobs and when we get promotions and raises and we just attribute that to ourselves, our own hard work, our own efforts, our own skill, our own knowledge. When in those times we should be giving praise to him because in the opposite times, we're certainly going to him and saying, God, what is wrong? Take me out of this. I need your help. So how do we turn from relying on ourselves to depending fully on God when we experience prosperity and contentment. We do this by giving God the fruit of our abundance and continue to ask what more and what's next. I think in our lives as Christians, we, we want God's blessings. How many of you have ever prayed for God's blessings? I have. I've prayed God's blessings for me and for others. And, but here's the thing. I, I think if we would bring ourselves to a place that as we begin to experience success and abundance, fruitfulness in life, contentment, prosperity, all these things, I believe it's at that moment that we, one, need to look to God and say, thank you. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing in my life. But I think it should follow the praise, the glory, the honor should follow with these two questions. What more can I give? And what do you want me to do next? Each time, Pastor Farrell says it often on the Cornelius campus. We are, we're blessed to be a blessing. In other words, the abundance that God bestows on us is always to turn and bless someone else. So if we would just ask those questions in life, especially when we're experiencing success and fruitfulness, God, what more can I give and what do you want me to do next? I believe if we're asking those two questions, it keeps our reliance on him, it keeps our focus on him, and we can keep pride at bay in our lives. Here's the second thing. Taking credit for who we are and what we have rather than taking credit or giving credit to God. We see this in Daniel chapter four, verse 25. We see that King Nebuchadnezzar is struggling with his pride issue. As he looks over his kingdom, he associates that with his strength, with his power, with his control. But look what happens here in verse 25. You will be driven away from people and will live, speaking of King Nebuchadnezzar, You'll be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone 
he wishes. Listen, I believe that if King Nebuchadnezzar would have, after hearing the interpretation of his dream, would have fallen on his face before God and began to glorify God, then he wouldn't have to experience what we just read. But not only did he not do that and have to walk through this, it took him a period of time before finally recognizing what was happening, even though he had heard the interpretation of the vision. He had to walk through this time where all of us would say, man, this guy has lost his mind. And not only did he lose his mind, he lost everything else. One who was in such control and such power and such prosperity is now living as we just read. That would have been avoidable if he would have given glory to God, honor to God, rather than being swelled up with this pride associating all of what he had to himself. If we are not aware, oh, my notes just went crazy. Technology. Uh, if we are not aware, we can be deceived to believe that we are the source rather than God being the source. Listen, we take credit for the hard work and prosperity, but blame God when we lack either or both. Like, isn't that part of our humanity? We take the credit for hard work, prosperity, but then we blame him when we don't have those things. I love the heart of the psalmist here in 34, chapter 34, verses 1 and 2. And this is what the psalmist says. I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praise. I will boast only in the Lord. Listen, this is a solution to pride. These few verses is really a solution to pride. And I believe it would be bringing us to a place where we begin to experience all that God has for us. If his praise is always coming forth from my mouth and from my lips, whether things are going great or things are not going so great, like that changes everything. It says, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will boast only in him. Listen, this is the solution for any point of pride in our lives. If I'm constantly looking to God and I'm constantly giving him praise and not just giving him praise, but speaking his praise and giving him glory and honor in front of others, that begins to take care of everything, every issue of pride in our lives. Here's the third thing. Having a perspective that we know what is best and choosing our own way. Don't raise your hand. My hand's up. Like, this is a thing, this is a point of struggle in my life. Because many times I'm, I'm making my decision on a direction or a path or a plan based on experience, based on knowledge, sometimes, rarely, based on education. But I'm, I'm making these plans for myself. You've heard me say this before. We Christians are so good about going to God and praying that he'll accomplish our plan. We go to him with already the decisions being made, our plan already being drawn, and we ask him to bless our plan. Listen, that's a source of pride, even if it's not something we're doing intentionally. The source in our lives is pride, that I wouldn't go to him with a a blank slate and say, God, I need you to speak to me now. Show me your plan. Show me your will for my life. Some people think that God and his ways are outdated and archaic. This is the essence of sin in in a nutshell. My way instead of God's way. Raise your hand if you've been whitewater rafting. Anybody in the room ever been whitewater rafting? Raise your hand if you've been down a river that had some class fives. <laughs> All right, so a few people. Uh, my favorite river, at least on this side of the U.S., I haven't even been on the, on the other side, but I love the Gully River in Beckley, West Virginia. Love it. I don't know. I've been down it probably eight times. Altogether, I've been rafting over a dozen times down seven or eight different rivers. But by far, that's my favorite river because that's the most intense. Like there's more likelihood that I'll die on that river. Sorry, babe. (laughs) Dang it. She's never going to let me go again. 
There's, I'm more likely to die on that river than any other river, and so it's just exhilarating to me. Uh, and the, the past few times I've gone, I've even swam a few class fours and one class five on purpose. But here's the thing, when you go whitewater rafting, and I'm going to read through the description of the classes. So, so there's class one, two, three, four, five, and six. There's, a, there's also a class six. You don't see those very often um, unless you're a, a daredevil or something like that. Uh, but here's, the, here's an explanation of the classes. Class one is this. It's just moving water with a few small waves, uh, few or no obstacles. So you, if you are on the Catawba River, there's probably some, a lot of class ones. Where you, got, you got a little bit of ripples going down in the current. And, uh, here's class two. Class two is easy rapids with smaller waves, clear channels that are obvious without scouting. Some maneuvering might be required. In, in other words, you might have to maneuver around a rock that's above the surface or just getting into the line, the current, and so, so you might need to paddle some. Uh, here's class threes. Rapids with high, irregular waves, narrow passages that often require precise, precise maneuvering. In other, words, in other words, you're getting some instruction, and we'll talk about that in a minute, to hit the line that you need to go down the rapids with, with safety. Even most class threes, if everyone just sat in the bottom of the boat, you'd probably just go on down. Here, here's class four. Now, this is when you start to get in a little bit of fun for me. Uh, unless anybody that's ever whitewater rafted, have you ever ridden the bull? They call it riding the bull. Where you sit on the very front of the, the raft and you hold on to the strap and as you go over the, yeah, anyways, that's super fun. <laughs> I've never done it. I gotta remember my wife's in here. I'm getting myself in trouble. So here, here's class four and this is when it starts to get fun. They're long, difficult rapids with constricted passages that often require complex maneuvering in turbulent water. The course may be hard to determine and counting is necessary. And when they talk about counting, there's some class fours, not all, but there's some class fours that as soon as you hit the line, you'll hear the guide begin to shout, right forward too, and it means the, everybody on the right side of the, the raft paddles forward twice or left back, you know, left two, or, you know, he's given instructions because as soon as you hit this run, there's typically another line that you have to hit to make it through. Now, here's the important thing that I just mentioned. There is a guide in the raft. Probably everyone in the room, if you've been whitewater rafting, there was a guide in the raft. I've been many times, and there's only been one time where there was no guide in the raft. We were going down the Nainahala with a group from camp. I think it was from camp. Uh, and the Nainahala is just class threes. I don't think there's any class fours, at least on the runs that we were hitting. And they were short a guide, and so they just asked anybody with experience. And, and I said that I had some experience. So I got to lead a whole raft of people down the, the river uh, with no guide in the boat. Uh, you know, a guide stayed close, but, uh, but this is the important thing. There is a guide in the boat shouting out instructions. Sometimes it's intense, sometimes it's, uh, it's just very casual, but they're shouting out instructions. Here's a class five. Extremely difficult, long and very violent rapids. The upper limit for commercial rafting. Here's a class six, and if, you're, if you've been on the Gully River, I think I saw a few shake their heads, like as I mentioned the Gully River, so you've been, been down. They would say that there's one, it's called Ejector Rock. It's got other names that I can't say in church, uh, but Ejector Rock, and that particular one, they would say might be a class six, depending on their water level. A class six means it doesn't matter how you go through it, you're coming out of the boat. A class five typically means there's one line that you have to maneuver into, get the, get the boat into, and even if you hit that line, there's a chance that someone's going overboard. That was, that's typically a class five. A class six is hit it or not hit it, you're, 
most likely going down. And this one particular uh, rapid called Ejector Rock, all the rafting companies will get out right after this drop because they eat lunch along the road. So as soon as you drop off this drop, and at times it can be eight foot, an eight-foot drop almost straight down, depending on the water level, uh, an eight-foot drop straight down, which is bigger than the... Oh, have we been showing the pictures? Throw those pictures up there. It's bigger than the raft that I've been in at times. Uh, this is me going down the Gully River. I'm there in the, t- the, the top right or front right. Uh, so e- eject a rock as you hit this rapid and drop. As soon as you hit the bottom of the fall, your guide is going to be saying, right, 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 right. He's not going to tell you how many times. It's just a strong right, right, right. Everybody's got to paddle to get to the right side of the river because in the middle of the river is a huge squarish rock called Postage Dew. And that rock, they call it that because your raft is going to get pressed up against that rock. It's going to go sideways like a stamp, be right up against it. Yeah, we are actually still in the raft in this one. Um, But it's going to get pressed up against this rock. Everybody's going to fall out. If you go to the left of that rock, it's pretty pleasant going in this channel, but there's not enough room for your raft to come out of the channel. And so most likely some people are going to going to go in. I actually saw one instance where on the left side of postage due, there were about five rafts that began to pile up on each other because one got sideways and stuck going in, and there was a person stuck underneath, trapped underneath, and so they couldn't get her out. They grabbed their hand a few times, so one of the guides finally just took his knife out and punctured all the rafts so they could pull her out. I mean, this is what we're talking about. So to have a guide is critical. It's vital. Because as many times as I've been down the Gully River, because the span of time that's in between and, and I'm not uh, familiar with it, I have to have a guide to go down this river. They know where to go and they know where not to go. To become a guide, you spend hour, uh, hours, out hundreds of hours on the same river before they let you become a guide. Why? Because you'll become familiar with what's safe and what's not safe. You already know the path ahead. They have names for each run uh, and, and they'll know, okay, guys, Guys, we're going to need to stay to the left of this. We're going to, you know, they're shouting out instructions before you even get there. Why? Because they know the way. And here we have a God, maybe more specifically the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Jesus said, it's great that I go. You need for me to go because God's going to send the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that Holy Spirit does is guide us into all truth. So why is it that we would want to walk through this life relying on ourselves and choosing our own ways, but we as Christ followers do it multiple times every day? And that's not judgment. That's just reality. Because I'm there too. Multiple times of every day, I'm going to make a decision and not always consider God in it. Now, let me say this, because I believe that as a Christ follower, I can continue to draw closer and closer and closer to God that leads me to a place where my decisions resemble a decision that Jesus would make. Like, that's what we strive for, right? But I don't know that I'm there yet. And I know that more times in the day, I need to stop and consider God and ask him what his ways are. And it's a source of pride when we don't, when I don't. Listen, you may not know what's ahead, but God does. And for us to just walk through and not con- walk through life not considering him is a source of pride. When I, began to, when I began to realize that, it really hit me like, okay, I need to be at least pausing throughout the day and asking God more questions. One of the practices that I've made in my life 
is before I fall asleep, uh, and, and I'll say that I, most of the time, there's some times where I fall asleep quickly, but it's, it's seldom, very seldom. And so I typically have a lot of time <laughs> right at the end of the day. And this is one of the questions that I, this is one of the questions that I ask God or the Holy Spirit. I ask the Holy Spirit to reveal anything in my life for that day, anything that I said, anything that I did that didn't resemble Jesus. What was me and not you, God? What was me just living the life of, of me, David, instead of living the life that you've called me to live? Sometimes there is, I have a very, some very convicting times right before I fall asleep. Uh, and other times I just feel his grace and his love and his mercy say, listen, you got another chance tomorrow. <laughs> Anybody else so, so happy that you have another chance tomorrow? Man, but I want to live life looking for his ways and, and not my own ways. Even with, maybe especially with confidence and experience in, Right? So let's begin to close and talk about how we can guard our lives from pride. The first thing is this. Exalt the king of heaven and know he is our source. That first word I think is key. That we have to exalt the king of heaven. We've got to lift his name. We've got to praise him. We've got to give him honor. We've got to give him glory. Daniel 4, 34. And this is after King Nebuchadnezzar had to walk through what he walked through. This is what it says. At the end of that time, okay, he was out in the wilderness. He was, he was crazy. He had hardly anything to eat. Here's what it says. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. Listen, if you recognize any point of pride in your life, one of the ways that you can overcome that is continue to exalt the King of heaven lifting his name, giving him glory, giving him honor. Here's the second thing you can do. Acknowledge that God does everything right and all his ways, <clears throat> excuse me, all his ways are just. Daniel 4.37, Nebuchadnezzar uh, begins to recognize this. He says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble Listen, notice the point, the main point that we just spoke of and that verse says all his, his ways. All his ways. Not all my ways, not all the ways that are known, but all his ways. We have to acknowledge that, that God's ways are always best for us. Here's the third thing. Walk in humility. We see that in that same verse, the, the very last sentence of that verse Verse 37 says, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Listen, I want to live in a way that God doesn't have to make me humble as a part of uh, chiseling away, but me going before him to say, God, you're all that I need. You're all that I need. Listen, here's the key. If, if that's something that we begin to speak more often, God, you are all that I need. If we're speaking that when we're experiencing abundance, and if we speak that when we experience little, God, you're all that I need. You're all that I need. That we would continue to recognize him. Anytime we experience success or abundance in life, that we would always point to him and give him credit. Listen, not only will your life be changed, but the lives around you who are hearing you and seeing you give praise to God, their lives will be changed as well. God, you're all I need. All I need is you. 
We, we sang the song this morning. It's one of my favorite. You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. Listen, God is worthy of us bringing everything to him, all the good stuff and all the bad stuff, all the beautiful parts of our lives and all the ugliest parts of our lives. He's worthy of us bringing. And if we get into the habit of going to him every moment of every day and just living a life where our posture is, God, you're all I need. You're all I need. Listen, we'll never struggle with pride if that's what we say over and over and over. God, I just need you. I need you. You're, you're all I need. Let's close our eyes. If you start your day on your face before the Lord, there's nowhere to go but up. And I love how Pastor Farrell says this. He said, a person on their face can never fall from that position. Being humble, walking with humility. I love the fact that God blesses all of his children with gifts and talents and but even in those recognizing God I need you despite what our education might be despite what our background is despite uh, what our status is in, in, our, in our community our success that we would be people who would always say God I need you I need you I just want you to have a conversation with the Holy Spirit in these last few moments and ask him to reveal any sources of pride in your life. What is he speaking to you? What is he revealing to you? I love that God comes to us in these moments with such love and grace. He wants to help us with these issues of pride because as we begin to overcome those things, overcome those issues of pride, we we get to be closer to him. Our attention is more on him. We worship him more often. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking. And would you, as he reveals those parts of your life, would you just begin to surrender those to him? I know one of the things that I have to say far too often is, God, I didn't, I didn't want to do that. I don't want to be that way. I didn't want to think that. I didn't want to say that. God, thank you so much for moving, for changing, for transforming. Listen, if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, I would love to introduce you to him this morning. Everything that we're talking about, it, this, this whole thing of pride, it, here's the reality. Outside of Jesus, I have no chance of overcoming any sin in my life. But Jesus overcame them all for me. So if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and you'd like to do that this morning, if you just want to raise your hand, I just, I just want to pray with you. In fact, we'll all pray with you. I didn't see any hands go up. If you did raise your hand and I didn't see you, just find me afterwards. I would love to have a conversation and and pray with you. God, thank you so much for everything you're doing in this place. I I love, in fact, I could burst out in song. You're up to something good. 
because you're a good and great God. Lord, thank you so much for bringing us to the, the point of, uh, of your word this morning as we study King Nebuchadnezzar's life to see that there's areas of pride in our own, but we don't want it there. So thank you for uh, sending the strength, giving us the strength and power to overcome. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being our guide, for consistently, moment by moment of every day, shouting out instructions to us, guiding us to your path. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You are an awesome and loving God. In Jesus' name, amen.